New car thinking is country autos. Sadly, JB thinks more about donuts, rabbits and coffee. Each to their own. The country autos have all. It's new car thinking. This is JB for breakfast on 92.9. New forms of energy. Uh, uh. 42.9742 JB for breakfast. All thanks to Country Auto's Havel. It's new car thinking. And joining us on the line, it's the opposition leader, Anthony Albanese. Thank you so much for your time. Good morning. Great to have a chat with you this morning. I've also got uh, Tony from our uh, local newsroom here as well. Good morning. Hey. Uh, now, uh, tell us a little bit about the renewable energy zone throughout the uh, the New England. This is a big announcement that you guys have. Well, this is one of the proposals that was part of our rewiring the nation announcement as part of our budget reply. And essentially, what we have is an energy grid that was built for last century. When when I was a kid, a solar panel was something that was on a pocket calculator. But now, of course. More than one in four homes are, are powered by solar energy. Uh, we have a, a very different energy mix. All of the cheapest new forms of energy are, are wind and solar. And New England's been identified by the New South Wales government, but also by the market operator as uh, the uh, absolutely having a big advantage in having... Uh, essentially a renewable energy zone which would create thousands of construction jobs but would also provide for cheap energy for the region. And it's quite an exciting project, but we need to make sure that the grid can deliver uh, things, poles and wires, essentially, is what an energy grid's made up of. Uh, And at the moment, it's not fit for purpose. So we think that a bit of investment there, creating a a uh, government-backed uh, uh, company, if you like, a bit like the National Broadband Network. And uh, what that would do is make sure that it worked with the sector, so that we could deliver a, a much uh, a much more efficient uh, delivery of energy that was also cheaper and cleaner. Um, Mr. Albanese, there's obviously a lot of workers in our region that do. currently work for and rely on the gas and coal industry. What would you do to kind of transition these people and these businesses into the renewable energy sector and make sure that they can continue working over the next, you know, 30, 50 years? Well, of course, uh, gas has uh, a critical role to play and will continue uh, to do so. And and coal in terms of a, a majority of uh, the uh, coal in uh, the region and indeed in Australia as for, for exports, and, and that's continuing in terms of, uh, of coal mining. But the truth is there hasn't been a new coal-fired power plant built in Australia for a long period of time. And uh, that is just not likely to change because of the market. It's just cheaper to have new forms of energy in terms of renewables. Uh, so we're seeing in places like uh, Liddell, further down in the Hunter Valley, uh, will will shut and it'll be powered by a mix of uh, gas and renewables with batteries. And uh, the AGL, the company there, has worked really closely with the union to make sure that uh, jobs are kept and that people 
had their skills uh, transferred. And uh, that's been a really good example of the union, in this case the, the CFMU, Mining and Energy Division, working with the company to make sure that people are looked after during that transition. Um, Anthony Albanese, if I can just ask you, our, our relationship with China in the last 12 months has deteriorated somewhat and uh, local farmers are facing some pretty uh, tough tariffs on produce export. Uh, how will Labor look at rebuilding this relationship to protect local producers? Well, look, our relationship with China has, has not been worse, I don't think, since uh, Whitlam recognised China way back in 1972 when when uh, Labor was elected. Uh, the fact is that uh, 49% of Australian exports go to China. And the fact that we can't have uh, a trade minister who can't pick up the phone to their counterpart in China. It's a matter of building a relationship based upon mutual respect and, and mutual interest, and that seems to have completely broken down. And uh, I, I think uh, things like uh, Senator Abetz's performance in the, in the Senate this week, I don't know if you saw that, but asking people giving... Uh, evidence before a Senate committee who happened to be uh, of Chinese-Australian origin, uh, questions about their... essentially questioning their loyalty to Australia by making them particularly make statements about the Chinese Communist Party. I think things like that uh, just really send a very bad message. And uh, I think the Australian government needs to do much better. Um, speaking of Parliament, you did have some pretty um, brash words the other day in relation to a Federal Integrity Commission. Given what's happened in New South Wales over the last few weeks, would Labor, you know, have a federal ICAC? Absolutely, and we need one. It's very clear that we need to restore faith in Australian democracy. The, the revelations, which um, I didn't see coming uh, last week, about uh, Gladys Berejiklian and, and Daryl Maguire's behaviour as a New South Wales MP, they wouldn't have come to light without the New South Wales ICAC. And uh, we need a, a, a federal body. There's uh, enough examples of uh, the sports rort saga, the misuse of funds. You have this Leppington land deal where a block of land that was worth $3 million was purchased with taxpayers' money, your listeners' money, for $30 million, 10 times over the odds. Those things need to be looked at, and you need a body to do that. And a National Integrity Commission uh, has uh, was promised by the current government way back in 2018. They've had the legislation we now know since 2019, but they won't even let anyone see it. Finally, Anthony Albanese, the big question is, this weekend, Panthers or Storm, who are you backing? Uh, in my, my heart says Panthers, <laughs> even though they beat my beloved Rabbitohs, but my head, but my head says Melbourne Storm. All I right. think your head's correct. Yeah. <laughs> the storm's coming in and it's going to wash them away. They're, they're pretty strong. Anthony Albanese, thank you so much for the chat this morning. Thanks a lot. Bye. That is the opposition leader, Anthony Albanese, 750 here at 92.9.
get a new Havel from Country Autos Havel and enjoy that new car smell, which sadly JB's rusted 1991 Daihatsu Charade lost a long, 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 long time ago. Thanks to Country Autos Havel. It's new car thinking. This is JB for breakfast on 92.9. Time to have a chat with Sarah Blake, a conflict conflict strategist. Sarah, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. It's great to join you. No, not a drama at all. Now, COVID-19, of course, has had a massive impact on all our relationships. Both, of course, we're talking, uh, you know, the relationships that we have might have with our partner and our loved ones, your husband, wife, but also even... Yeah, it, affects our uh, relationships with those that we work with, uh, even, you know, management boards, that sort of thing. It's been a massive impact. It's been a massive year, and I think we're all feeling pretty exhausted yeah. from it. Oh, exactly. That's right. I think you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone that, uh, that, that hasn't. What's some of the findings you've found with um, how far-reaching the implications from this have been? Well, I think one of the really insightful data coming out is that 40 cents 42% of people have experienced negative changes in their relationships, according to Relationships Australia. So that's a big percentage yeah. of it. So they're really struggling with what's going on. And then what I'm finding at workplaces is that there's been a massive increase in workplace conflict. Yeah. Um, the courts are under pressure. Everyone's feeling worn out. And this means more conflict. Yeah, of course. And I mean, even, um, you know, you mentioned workplaces before, even those that were able to obviously operate, you know, the essential businesses and all that, they're under a lot of pressure, obviously, with their doors remaining open to keep the service levels up in any way they could, which, of course, is, is stressful for everyone involved in that organisation. Yeah, look, what we're saying is that after the year we've all had, and it started with bushfires and then COVID, yeah. our resilience bucket is kind of running low. It's running empty, whereas usually we could put up with those annoying people yeah. or our partner's really annoying habits. At the moment, we're just exhausted. Yeah. And so all those little triggers are escalating our responses. So this means that the conflict really triggers, it, it happens really quickly and react, we react probably more emotionally than we would usually. Any tips or tricks on how to get us back on the same page, especially now that, you know, fingers crossed, we're getting back to a little bit of normality in our lives? Absolutely. So the first thing to really keep in mind, and it's easier said than done, is that when you feel yourself reacting or there's conflict happening, take a breath. Resist the temptation to lash out emotionally. I want you just to pause, and if that means taking some time out, stepping away for 10 seconds, I yeah. think that's going to help you reduce the negative impact. First of all, take a breath. And it's okay to feel frustrated. What I want you to do is really gather information before you make all the decisions. And that might be seeking some counselling support. It might be doing some research on the internet. It might be just getting in touch with what really matters to us right now as a workplace. What are our values? So get those foundations right and then lean into the hard conversations. And it is okay to be feeling that way and pretty normal. We're all yeah. struggling right now. So reach out wherever you can. Don't be ashamed of, of going to get in contact with a counsellor, whether it's your friends or whoever. Just find somebody to talk to. And here's a really tough thing to know is that as we're learning, life isn't perfect, but we can manage it and we can create space for new potential, for um, possibility and for hope, even if that means reimagining our relationships. It might be marriage 2.0. It might be starting a new life. It might be moving on to mm. a new job. Whatever it is, mm. opportunities can emerge if we lean into them. Exactly right. And there's been some amazing stories of that 
um, adversity that's come out of COVID nineteen. People that have you know lost businesses back in March yeah. and are now doing something that they wouldn't have even imagined twelve months ago and enjoying life even more than they thought they could have twelve I months know. ago. It's great. We trust in life, isn't it? Yeah, that's the exciting potential. And if we maintain that hope, I think anything's possible. So it's okay to feel exhausted. Your buckets are empty. Make some time to fill yeah. those buckets with joy, and that will help you stay positive. Sarah Blake, thank you so much for your time. My absolute pleasure. Take care. All Havels come with a seven-year unlimited kilometre warranty. Sadly, for our boss, JB doesn't. JB for breakfast. The Country Autos Havel. It's new car thinking. 92.9. Time to chat with Meg, Meg Coffey, the social media strategist. Meg, thank you so much for your time. Always fun to chat with you. Tinder and some of these uh, dating apps have been a little bit in the spotlight in the last week or so. There was a Four Corners investigation into some of their practices regarding safety through these apps. And they've now done some investigations into sort of the best practice that these uh, applications can can operate within. They've kind of left themselves a little bit open up till now, haven't they? Yeah, look, this is a really, this isn't a fun topic. It, it, it's no. not a nice one. And, and one of the issues around the dating apps has always been security. Yeah. Um, because you are, you're, you're meeting strange people, not strange, you know, people that you, you know, random people yeah. um, that you wouldn't normally meet. And so you do need to let people know where you're going and, and all of those kinds of things. It's not like, you know, where it used to be a referral from a friend. Um. So, so the dating apps have long had, had, had issues. And look, I'll be honest with you, one of the ways that they tried to combat it is through this unmatching feature, which has now kind of become their downfall. Mm. Yeah, exactly right. It went from being almost like a security feature to people on this app, some of the predators on these apps actually using it uh, for their own advantage. Yeah, so the, so the way that this unmatching is, is, you know, say say um, you and I were to connect, right, on Tinder, and then we go on a date, and it's a bad date, we don't want to see each other again. We can unmatch so that we don't have any, you know, further communication. Um, and it was also great, because say, you know, like, you started harassing me, because I'm wonderful, and I, you know, you wanted to go out again, and I just, I wasn't comfortable. So I could unmatch. You would never do that, right? Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, pr- protect myself. Yeah. But the but the problem now is what's happening. So when you unmatch, air quotes, all communication ceases. And you can't actually, you wouldn't actually be able to find me on Tinder again because I've almost ultimately blocked you, right? Yeah, yeah. So what's happening now is that there's assault happening. And rather than, you know, the girl unmatching because you're making me feel creepy, the guy is unmatching because he's done something wrong mm. and that way he can't be tracked. All mm. conversations are erased. Mm. So this this safety mechanism that, that, that the app has has backfired. Yeah, exactly right. What what are some of the the things that companies are doing to try and make this a little safer? Well, I mean, what we all know is that once something's in the internet, it's always on the internet, despite what people say. So I think, you know, Tinder's come out and said, look, we do have archives of all the messages. Even yeah. if you unmatch, we still have access yeah. to all of those messages. So we can track people down. Um, but I think what the problem has been is that some of these complaints have fallen on deaf ears. Yeah. And, and they're thinking that the apps are just not responding fast enough. Yeah, yeah. 
once again, technology moves faster than law, you know, and and it's hard. I mean, of course, they should be responding, but it's... um, it's an interesting, it's a, it, it's a sad one, but it's an interesting one. And every, you know, every country has their own issues with, with security and privacy. And, you know, it's something that you need to keep in mind when you're, when you're using these apps. I personally, I'm not a fan of them. Yeah. Um, it's not how I like to meet people. Maybe that's why I'm still single. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, a couple of the, the female staff here, they've <sighs> used uh, Tinder in the past and for about 24 hours, and that was enough. So, yeah, uh, it's just, it's not, <laughs> like, you, you guys are not that tall, and I don't need to see any more tigers and fish. <laughs> it seems to be, um, pig hunting seems to be the big thing that people put on profile pictures in these parts, so. Oh, uh, is it pig hunting? Yeah. Well, let me get myself a man over there. <laughs> well, we might be able to. Might be able to make this work. <laughs> Radio Tinder. There we go. <laughs> I love it. Meg, thank you so much it. for the chat. Always good to chat. Thank you. All Havels come with a seven-year unlimited kilometre warranty. Sadly, for our boss, JB doesn't. JB for breakfast. For Country Autos Havels. It's new car thinking. 92.9. The U.S. presidential election just around the corner next Tuesday in the U.S. Wednesday, our time. And to chat more about it, I've got the senior lecturer in American politics and foreign policy at the United States Study Center, David Smith, on the line. How are you, David? Good morning. I'm very well, thank you. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, the Just quickly, before we focus on this year's election, take us through a little bit of a background into sort of how the US political system works. Yeah, so it's a complicated system that elects the president. It's actually 50 separate elections for the president. Each state is having an election for the president. Each state gets a certain number of votes in the electoral college, which is the body that chooses the president based on its population. And whoever wins the vote in that state gets all of the votes in that state. So the election always hinges on the swing states, the one that are going to be the closest. A candidate can rack up huge margins in big states, but it doesn't matter if they lose in the swing states. So like what we had in 2016, where Hillary Clinton got three million more votes than Donald Trump, still lost the race because she lost these very close races in Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and Michigan. So it's not enough just to win the most number of votes. You need to win in the states. How is the polling looking between uh, Donald Trump and Joe Biden? So if you look at the national level, Joe Biden has a very big lead, nine or ten points. If you look at those close states that are going to matter, Biden has a lead, but it's much smaller. So in Florida and Pennsylvania, for example, which are two crucial states, if either candidate wins both of those, they're probably going to win the election. We've got Biden with a lead of about five points in Pennsylvania and with a lead of about two points in Florida. What he would be worried about is that last time around, the polls exaggerated Hillary Clinton's standing. They were just not picking up 
a lot of Trump voters for whatever reason. Uh, a lot of Trump voters are people who vote but don't necessarily answer opinion polls. So that five-point lead that Biden has in Pennsylvania, five points was about the margin by which the polls were off in Pennsylvania last time. So even though it looks like Biden is in front, there is that possibility that the polls have got it wrong again. The pollsters, no doubt, will try to fix the mistakes that they made last time. But, you know, it's possible that they could make different mistakes this time. The other possibility is that Biden's lead could be even bigger than it looks. So even though it looks like Biden's in a strong position at the moment, we're really not going to know until Election Day. It's been a very colourful and, uh, I guess, exciting lead up to this year's election. It's certainly thrown some massive curveballs, which we haven't really seen in the lead up to a US election for some time. No, we've never seen an election like this before, where because of the pandemic, it's really just changed the whole nature of the election campaign. It's really made the whole thing into a referendum on Donald Trump's leadership. And given the massive kinds of failures that we've seen in the US during the pandemic, which is not all due to Trump, but Trump certainly hasn't helped matters. I think that's really weakened Trump's position. And when he got coronavirus himself, even though there was sympathy for him at the same time, it really kind of highlighted his own irresponsibility around the pandemic. And even after getting it, he's continued to campaign with events with thousands of thousands of people that could be spreading the virus further. The other result of the pandemic is how many people are voting early. 80 million Americans have already voted in this election. And only about 130 million Americans even voted in the last election. So I don't know if we're going to get much bigger turnout in this election or whether it's just people are being really careful, making sure they get their votes in. You know, the virus is getting worse in the United States. Who knows what it'll look like by election day. But that's that's one of the consequences, massive early voting. And there's been huge talk about some of the legal ramifications with that mail-in voting as well, that's going to hugely sort of affect the numbers and when we would expect an answer as well. Any idea on that? It's it's all going to depend on how close it is. If it's close, it could go on for weeks uh, because close election uh, counts automatically Mm. trigger recounts in a lot of states. As you said, there are going to be legal disputes over mail-in ballots. Donald Trump has already telegraphed this. He said he thinks that mail-in ballots are fraudulent, that they encourage mass fraud. There are lots of lawsuits going on currently about if people post ballots before Election Day, but they arrive after Election Day, can they be counted? Those cases are going all the way to the Supreme Court. It might be over quickly if it's a clear result, and it would be most likely to be a clear result in favour of Biden rather than Trump. Two states, which are really important, Florida and North Carolina, have the capacity to count all of their votes um, really quickly on election night. It it varies state to state because every state is basically running its own election. So we could know very quickly. But on the other hand, it could take weeks. Uh, tea leaf stuff now. Uh, what could possibly happen if if Trump loses 
and all these legal disputes go on. Obviously, a president has to be put in by January 20, mm. I understand. What, what, what hypothetically could happen between now and then, or from election day till then? That's a very good question, and there are all kinds of chaotic scenarios, because Trump has indicated that he's not going to accept the result if Biden wins, that he would only accept a result that was certified by the Supreme Court. Now, most elections don't go to the Supreme Court. The last one that did was the notorious 2000 election, which was decided in the state of Florida. And that's one of the reasons why Trump was so eager to appoint another Supreme Court justice, so that he would have a a majority in favour of him. But it's very hard to say. If if we see all of these legal challenges happening, um, it's going to be really unpredictable about what's going to happen. One of the more worrying things is that we might see violence. There was a court in Michigan that just approved people openly carrying firearms at the polls. If there are people who take Trump seriously and think that the election is being stolen, there is a real possibility for violence on election day or after election day. If it's a clear result in favour of Biden, then Trump's political allies probably won't go along with any plan that Trump has to try to reverse the result of the election or contest the result of the election. But if it's close, who knows what will happen. David Smith from the United States Study Centre, thank you so much for the chat, and we look forward to seeing this all unfold next week and ongoing into the new year. Thank you so much for the chat. My pleasure. David Smith there from the United States Study Centre on our McDonald's McCafe coffee break. Get a new Havel from Country Autos Havel and enjoy that new car smell, which sadly JB's rusted 1991 Daihatsu Charade lost a long, 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 long time ago. Thanks to Country Autos Havel. It's new car thinking. This is JB for breakfast on 92.9. An absolute pleasure to have a chat with Hazel Edwards, the children's author. Hazel, thank you so much for having a chat with me today. Well, I'm very happy to chat with anyone from Tamworth. I've got a soft spot for Tamworth because um, some of your... You've got a very enterprising librarian Mm. in your public library there. It is library day today too. Yes. Um, But uh, she's been helping uh, with students reading some of our future stories to do with Hijabi Girl, which is going to be performed by puppets. And so some of your local students have been making fantastically useful comments and they really enjoyed being part of the process. So that's an indication of the initiative in Tamworth. (laughs) Exactly right and of course not only have we partnered up with you but we've teamed up with Dolly Parton as well for the Fantastic Imagination Library project which is just a phenomenal project worldwide. I totally support that Jared. In fact I'm I'm sort of one of the ambassadors for that because they use my books in it and I totally support it because what it means is that uh, Dolly has organised for books, predominantly picture books, to get into homes where they can be shared by everybody in the family. I know Tamworth is one of the targeted lucky areas and uh, it's a fantastic project and I totally agree with it. I think anything that's called an imaginative imagination <laughs> library should be totally supported. She no. and I are the same age, but we look a little different. <laughs> now, if people are familiar with your work, 
your third book that you published, There's a Hippo on the Roof Eating Cake, turns yes. 40 this year. Yeah, uh, that's really ancient, yes. isn't it? Uh, and that came from um, something ordinary that happened in our family. In fact, I'm still under the same roof here at the moment. Uh, the roof's been fixed. You'll be glad to know it doesn't drip anymore. But um, and my then four-year-old son thought the, the drip in the roof was the hippo up on the top as the workman came to fix the roof. Now, in all all families, things go wrong, all this funny stuff. And if you write about it, it's Mm. a way of sharing your family history, in a sense. So we did it, but only for our family, and it sort of grew, and we we never really expected that the hippo on the roof eating cake would go into Mandarin or become a film or a touring musical or would have his own Fan mail, yes. people write to the hippo <laughs> yes. saying you shouldn't eat so much cake and somebody has to answer on his behalf, which is usually me. Um, we never expected that and now my son is in his early 40s, has a, has a baby and um, he's reading to that child and as many grandparents do, I write a story for each child for each birthday um and that's something that other people might find in um helpful to do you don't have to be able to draw you can use photographs yeah it's phenomenal you've done what 200 books yeah, I think it's a bit more than that. I've lost wow. count, to be honest. Yeah, Jared. I don't blame you. <laughs> yeah, I've been writing. Um, I write in all areas. I write yeah. uh, adult mysteries yeah. like With Then Dead on the Gan, which we're adapting at the moment for a screenplay. But my favourite one is really writing for picture book picture books are the hardest or writing for the round about the eightish age group yep. because they're really into chapter books and and, and they'll say exactly what they think they'll yep. turn it face down if they don't like it <laughs> or they'll follow you loyally if they do and that's what is the wonderful aspect of being a children's writer and i i think it's more important writing for children than writing for adults Adults. because adults will often read something only once whereas there'll be a new group of children every six years reading it and if it's the first book they've read of that type they'll remember it Uh, i had a little girl from an islamic school say to me I didn't think there were any stories about girls like me who wear a hijab and play Aussie Rules football. And you've got one in your story. (laughs) (laughs) And that was important. Do you you write one book at a time or do you have a mind where you can write four or five things on the go and just work sort of on one thing for a couple of hours and then another book? Or are they one by one? Uh, I usually have four or five projects on the go at any one time, but I often work with somebody else, a collaborator. So, for example, with the hijabi girl stories, I I worked with um, a Muslim librarian, Erskay, to get the details right. Um, With some of the other stories, I've worked with illustrators, or at the moment I'm working with the larrikin puppeteers. Um, So it's a way of me continuing to learn too. but within our family, I co-wrote a couple of uh, adventure books, uh, Cycling Solo Island to Istanbul uh, with my son, and uh, he walked the Appalachian Trail with one called Trail Magic. 
he said he'd rather walk another 100 kilometres than write another chapter. But between us, <laughs> we finished it. <laughs> so um, collaborating is a really good way of keeping learning new things. Yeah. Mm. Exactly right. Now, you're unfortunately in isolation there in, in Victoria, yeah. which is good for you as an author because you can get lots of work done, which is good. For us other mere mortals, you've done some <laughs> online handy writing tips for us to do books. Yeah. yeah, I was very conscious of how challenging it was for families who suddenly had kids at home uh, or who <clears throat> were isolated. Yeah. And what what started, I'd always had things on my website for students, but I started, uh, I have a section called Aspiring Writers, and I added one thing each day during the lockdown um, and included things that people could actually use. So, for example, one of our grandsons, Henry, used to write us a, or make us up a, a word puzzle every day and drop it on the doorstep. That was when he was allowed to do that. Yeah. Um, and we'd do something in return for him. So I've put yeah. one of those in as an example of what you can do. And lots of other ideas there. So they're all free and downloadable. And a lot of um, families have been using them while they've been isolated at home. Yeah. Um, a second one is um, for adults, and I, I normally mentor adults writing their their memoirs, and we weren't able to keep going face-to-face. -face. Yeah. So I wrote something that would help them with that. It's called Complete Your Book in a Year because most people have trouble finishing things. <laughs> and uh, so I put up a schedule there that's free, again, that's downloadable, and it'll get people going. Um, and so uh, that's my contribution to... Uh, you might be confined in a house or confined as we were to one kilometre, but your mind isn't confined. Mm. You can read and you can write about other things yeah. and you can learn about other things. So it's not really as limiting as people think. No, exactly right. We'll put both of those links up on our website yeah, so people can check those, those out. Yeah, Not a drama. Hazel Edward, an absolute pleasure to chat. It's amazing how far wide your, uh, your books have spread been an absolute pleasure to have a chat with you, Hazel. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jared. All Havels come with a seven-year unlimited kilometre warranty. Sadly, for our boss, JB doesn't. JB for breakfast. For Country Autos Havels. It's new car thinking. 92.9.